You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Joy tonight to have you with us as we launch our stewardship weekend and appreciate our young people ministering, those that have led them tonight. And we are here tonight because we have our act together financially and we just want to just kind of just gloat in that over the next few minutes, right? Is that why you're here tonight? Or we're all like moments from bankruptcy and uh, so maybe that's why we're here tonight. Uh, we're probably somewhere in the middle, most of us, but uh, good to see you tonight and uh, thank you for being here and uh, looking forward to tomorrow as well. Uh, it is our joy tonight to have with us uh, Nate Skelly, and uh, he is not Nathan technically. I've had to fight calling him that. He's either Nathaniel or Nate. Nate is short for any of those derivatives, but uh, it's our joy to have Brother Skelly with us tonight. He is a financial planner, and it works in that uh, in the professional world as well as he's the founder of Financial Pathway uh, Ministry, and so it's our joy to have him with us tonight. And we were talking about this, uh, Nathaniel and I, over lunch, but just his heart for uh, churches. And I mentioned to him, even our young people that are in tonight, just building a biblical view or reinforcing a biblical view of our stewardship. And obviously it applies to a lot of different areas, but specifically money. And uh, he and I were talking earlier today, sometimes money is like, that's like evil or that's dirty or we don't talk about that. I remember my boys regularly, especially when they were younger, asking how much I make and trying to teach them that's rude to ask that or, you know, what did that cost, the Christmas gift you got me, those kind of things. With that, kind of that thinking sometimes, we, we take that into adulthood. Jesus was very direct in teaching on money and the Proverbs, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes and some other places tonight. So I just want to encourage tonight to be open to what God has for you in this area and a lot of our treasure management shows where our heart is positioned, uh, what it loves, what it prioritizes. So I hope tonight God will use uh, tonight's teaching as well as uh, tomorrow. Uh, Nate lives in Pensacola, Florida, and he brought the warm weather with him, so we appreciate that uh, today. And his wife's name is Charity. They have three kids, Jaden, Judah, and Juliet. And he told me that was not their plan to do all three J's, but it just it was the names they wanted. So... When he gets angry, he just says J something and then yells. But uh, it's our joy to have you with us tonight, Brother Skelly. You come and teach, and the Lord bless you as you do so tonight. All right. Let's make sure I'm on here. Okay. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Good to see you all. I think I'm going to have to do the, uh, the sprinkler method here with how wide. All right, I'll try to kind of get back and forth so I can see everybody. Um, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm really been looking forward to being with you all this weekend, and uh, Pastor Snowd already kind of gave my intro, so I'm coming from Pensacola, Florida. It's nice and warm. It's like this, what you had today. It's like this all the time, and you're 15 minutes from a beautiful white sand beach. The only problem is like every few years, a hurricane comes in and destroys our entire town, and we have to like rebuild it, but other than that, it's great, and you should totally live there. Um, no, but it's, it's great to be here with you. I actually grew up not too far from you all. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I want you to, I want to set your minds at ease this evening. I am not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, okay? Because I know that Pastor Snowden would not do that to you all, to bring in the enemy into 
uh, into your territory here. No, like all good Christians, I cheer for the Dallas Cowboys, and so we'll just move on very quickly from that. Um, Well, hey, so this weekend, of course, is our stewardship weekend. We want to focus in on what the Bible has to teach about finances. And I know it's always a touchy subject because there's very few things that are more personal to us than our money. And I know the tendency is for us to kind of be like, well, let's sort of stick with the more spiritual stuff, right? Let's not go down the money road. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the reality is we need to speak on the topic of money because the Bible speaks on it, and it speaks on it a lot. There are hundreds of verses in Scripture about wealth and, uh, and, and money, and Jesus spoke of it very often. And I think part of the hesitation, and I understand it, part of the hesitation is within this broad umbrella of you know, Christianity, to use that term very loosely, there's a lot of people that have really taken God's word and manipulated it and abused it to say things that it doesn't say. And so from my perspective, I really see two extremes. If you want to go over to this extreme, we have what some people would call the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard that term before. And it's really this idea that if you live for God and you do right and you're a generous person, then you will automatically be blessed with material wealth. Like if you give somebody $20, God's going to send you $100, that sort of idea. And while God often does see fit to bless us materially, it's not a formula. The Bible does not teach you just live for God and do right, and all of a sudden you'll just win the lottery next day. That's not what the Bible teaches. But on the other extreme, now I did not grow up anywhere near that type of teaching, but I would say from time to time I've come across another viewpoint, which is also unbiblical. I would call it the poverty gospel, and it's this mentality. It's not usually overtly taught, but rather I think it's just a mindset some people have that if you live for God and if you're committed in the Christian walk, then you won't have money, or that if you do have money, that's somehow an indication that you're materialistic that you're not a good Christian. So can I just start off tonight, and let's just kind of lay this groundwork and say your net worth is not some kind of indication of how godly you are. So if God's seen fit to bless you materially, great, but that doesn't, that's not like a rubber stamp of a rule saying God has blessed you because you have money, and just because you don't have money, that's not moral high ground for you to look at somebody who is wealthy and say, you must not be as good of a Christian as me, right? God blesses people in different ways. What we need to learn instead is how to be a good steward and how to be wise with what God has entrusted us with. And so tonight, I want to speak to you for just a few minutes about uh, financial advice from the world's richest man. Financial advice from the world's richest man. And if you haven't guessed by now, that's not me. I'm not talking about me, okay? I'm talking about somebody else. Now, uh, does anybody happen to know who the world's richest man is as of now. It's actually changed a bit. Um, it's, it's fluctuated. There's one guy's number one that gets overtaken by this other guy and it kind of goes back and forth. Anybody want to venture a guess tonight who the world's richest man is? Bezos. Bezos. He was number one, but he just got passed up again. Elon Musk of Tesla and SpaceX. Um, I just checked as of this afternoon um, Elon Musk is worth $229 billion. 
Now, it's really hard for us to even wrap our mind around how much money that is. It's just an insane figure. So to put it in perspective for you, if you made $50,000 a year, you could work for 4 million years and still not have as much money as Elon Musk. Or, if you want to think of it this way, for Elon Musk to go out and purchase a home for $2 million would be like you and I going out and spending a dollar. That's what that is to him. Okay, so are we, all, are we all thoroughly depressed about our financial situation? Okay, good. Um, now, if you had the opportunity to talk to an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos or somebody like that, could you learn something from them about money and business? Sure. Now, you may not learn something from them about marriage or parenting or other areas, but, right? I mean, if you couldn't learn from them, if you're like, ah, I don't have anything to learn from Elon Musk about business and money, then I don't know who you would listen to, all right? Well, tonight, I want to share with you some advice from one such man. Not Elon Musk, not Jeff Bezos, but a multi-multi-billionaire. And I know that his advice is good because God saw fit to include it in his word. And if you haven't guessed by now, we're talking about King Solomon. Now, uh, King Solomon was the third king of Israel, very wealthy and very wise. Remember, God gifted him wisdom because he asked for it. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He helped build the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. Just to give you a, a perspective on Solomon's wealth, the Bible says that every year the gold that flew in, that came in, that, the, the, that, that came into the treasury there, was 666 talents of gold. So in today's terms, that would be about $1.4 billion worth of gold. The Bible also says that silver was so abundant in Jerusalem at that time that it was basically worthless. They had so much silver that you couldn't even pay somebody for it. It was just like rocks. Um, they had ivory and wood and precious metals and gems and all this tribute and trade. Solomon was a multi-multi-billionaire by today's standards. And Solomon gets to the end of his life and he writes a book called Ecclesiastes and he shares with his audience what he's learned along the way. And one of the biggest lessons that he's learned in life is about wealth, is about money, and here's a guy who would know, okay? If Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or a multi-billionaire came in and said, let me teach you something about money, you would perk up. You would be all ears. Well, here's a multi-multi-billionaire from 3,000 years ago saying, hey, listen up, I've got some advice for you. If you follow this advice, if you'll learn from what I learned, it'll help you in your life. So I want to share with you three observations, three timeless truths about money that Solomon wants to impart to future generations. Number one, and if you are taking notes there in your handout, number one is this. Beware of overcommitment. Beware of overcommitment. Let's look, and we're going to bounce around. We're going to look at several verses in Ecclesiastes. We're also going to look at Proverbs. Remember, Solomon wrote a lot of the verses that are included in Proverbs, not all of them, but these two books contain a lot of wisdom from Solomon. So let's, let's start at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 5. I'm going to have these verses here on the screen. I'd invite you to, to follow along with me as we look at a lot of passages here tonight. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says this, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So what is Solomon saying? It would be better to not make a promise 
to not borrow, to not promise to pay back, than it would to promise that you're going to pay back and not do it. So it's better to not go into debt at all than to borrow and not repay back your loan. You know, debt's not a light decision. The Bible does not tell you that debt is a sin, but the Bible contains many warnings about the dangers and the pitfalls of going into debt. And if we're wise, we will heed those warnings. There's a significant amount of debt in the United States. Our country alone, uh, the national debt is over $30 trillion. You add up everybody's individual personal loans and mortgages and car loans and credit cards, it's uh, over $15 trillion, just an insane amount of money. Every year in the United States, there are over half a million bankruptcies, over half a million foreclosures, where somebody has not been able to pay the mortgage, and now the bank's going to come back and repossess the home. About 600,000 places of business close down every year in the United States, not always for financial reasons, but I would say probably mostly because they're not able to meet their financial obligations. Every year, people feel the sting of overcommitment. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people in our country learn what it means to have overcommitted themselves financially. Now, let me just say this. Just because somebody is not able to pay back a loan or goes into bankruptcy, that does not always mean that they were unwise and reckless in their, in their financial management. I understand that sometimes unforeseen circumstances come. This is not saying it's an indictment on all people who have ever been in that situation. What we're saying is you have to be careful, you have to be wise as a Christian to not overcommit yourself financially. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7. This is a verse that many of you will be familiar with. It says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. So that's what happens. When you borrow money from somebody, you become a servant. And your lender... They're the master in that relationship, and you are obligated to them as long as you have that debt. That's a burden. That limits your freedoms. You know, I have a lot of freedom to make choices about my finances. You know, I have, uh, I'm a cord cutter, so I don't have cable. I have that YouTube TV. You know what I'm talking about? These go month to month, and if I don't want it next month, I don't have to pay for it. And nobody's going to come knocking at my door and say, hey, where's our money? Because it's my, it's my choice, my decision. But if I decide next month, you know what? I'm going to take a month off from my mortgage. I don't really feel like paying that thing this month. I will be hearing from somebody, right, in, in short order. I don't have that freedom. I don't have that flexibility. I am obligated. I am a servant and you have to remember that, that anytime you take on debt, you become a servant. You place a burden on yourself, and you better make sure that that burden's not too heavy. Ever been hiking? Ever been walking somewhere, and you had a backpack? You were carrying something? Maybe going around the store, maybe spending a day at the zoo or at the park, and early on, you, you grab that bag, you put on that backpack, and it doesn't feel that bad, right? Okay, I got this. And then as the day wears on, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, my shoulders my back. This is, that's what debt does to us. At the, at the moment, when we take it on, we're like, ah, it's not too bad. I can handle this. I'm good. But pretty soon, when we overcommit ourselves, we find ourselves being burdened with that debt. So what do we do? Okay. Well, 
Just by way of practical application, let, let's talk about how this applies to us today. First and foremost, let me warn you, be very careful about credit cards, okay? Credit cards can be a wonderful tool. I'm not necessarily against credit cards, but uh, more people probably get themselves in trouble with overcommitment with credit, with credit cards than with anything else. If you're going to use credit cards, pay off the balance each month, okay? If you're not going to be able to, to do that, then I would say it's better for just to not have the credit cards, okay? So we've got a lot of the young people over here on this side. Hey, you, you're not old enough to have credit cards yet, but pretty soon applications will be mailed to you. There'll be plenty of opportunities. Be careful, okay? Be careful about the temptation to spend money that you don't have. Be careful about taking out loans for, let's say, a student loan, a business loan. Now, sometimes that can be a smart decision. You say, hey, I'm going to take out a loan to get an education, and that will pay itself back. I'm going to take out a loan so I can you know, do this with my business and expand. And That can be a wise decision, but it's not automatically a wise decision. You know what I'm saying? Just because you can use a loan for education, just because you can use a loan for your business, doesn't always mean it's the right choice at that time. Make sure that the benefit outweighs the cost. Be careful about that. Avoid going into debt whenever possible. Here's the thing, folks. I'm not against going into debt. The Bible is not against you borrowing. In fact, you look at the Old Testament and the Israelites, and God gave them instructions on how to borrow and how to make sure that they weren't predatory in their lending practices. But you need to be careful. If you can avoid going into debt, that's always better to do that if you can. Um, have money set aside for emergencies. Have money set aside in case something goes wrong. Because the last thing you want to do is be living paycheck to paycheck, money in, money out, and then an emergency happens, and then what do you have to do? You have to pull out the credit card. You have to go to the family member. You have to put yourself, you're already in a vulnerable financial state, and now you're going deeper into debt, and that's something you want to avoid. Be careful about overcommitment. Now, if we go just a few verses later in Proverbs 22, let's look at Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27. Also on this idea of overcommitment, the Bible says this, be not one of them that strikes that strike hands, so like a handshake agreement, or of them that are sureties for debts. So somebody that would guarantee a loan. You know what we would call that today? We call that co-signing. So somebody else, for whatever reason, is not going to be approved for a loan. So you're going to step up and say, hey, if they don't pay back their loan, then I, you can talk to me. I will guarantee that that loan gets paid back. The Bible says... You shouldn't do that. The Bible says that that's not a wise decision. Why? Verse 27, if thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? In other words, if it's not your responsibility, if it's not your loan, why would you want to put yourself in a position where they're going to come after you for the money, and now you're going to have to sell your stuff, your own bed, to cover somebody else's loan? Now, that could be because they were foolish and they were irresponsible. It could be because they fell on hard times and it wasn't their fault at all. Either way, why would you want to put yourself in that position? The Bible says that that's not wise to guarantee a loan. In fact, let's look at Proverbs chapter 6 in verse 1 because Solomon here is even more direct. He's even more urgent. I want you to notice the sense of urgency that he has in verses 1 through 5. Proverbs 6 verse 1 says, my son and a lot of the Proverbs start out that way, a father to a son in, a, in advice form. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger. So what are we talking about here? If you've co-signed, if you've promised to pay your friend's loan, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. 
you're trapped. You've put yourself in a really bad position by what you've said you're going to do. And you need to understand that. So what should you do? Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Hey, you know what you need to do? Immediately, you need to get out of that arrangement. You need to go to your friend. You need to say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Would you please allow me to be free of this obligation? And he says, don't wait. Don't give sleep to thy eyelids or, or sleep to thine eyes, slumber to thine eyelids. Like, don't wait. Don't, don't put it off. Like, immediately, as soon as possible, deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Can you picture the desperation of a trapped animal, right? Trying to get out of that trap, trying to escape the hunter. That's the mentality you have to have if you've placed yourself in that position. That's what the Bible says. Beware of overcommitment. So I would encourage you to make it a policy, just a personal policy. Don't co-sign. Don't put yourself on the hook for somebody else's responsibility. So what would Solomon tell us? He would say, don't overcommit yourself. Beware of debt. Beware of co-signing. Number two, you will never have enough money. Just on the theme of like financially, just trying to depress you this evening, you'll never have enough money, so just give up now while you can't. No. Okay, what do we mean? I, I've got enough under quotation marks. You'll never have enough money. If you were to take a survey here in the Worcester, not Worcester, as I'm told, Worcester area, I think you would find, if you were to ask people, how much is enough money? Give me a number. Throw, throw out a number to me. You know what most people are going to tell you? They're going to tell you a number that's more than what they already have. Right? Now, not everybody, but most people are going to say, you know, if they have a million dollars, what's enough? Mm, two, two million. I think that would be enough for me, right? That's how it goes. That's human nature. Whatever we have, we just, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more would be nice. And Solomon says, you'll never have enough money. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5.10. What does Solomon say? It says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. So let me just save you some time and tell you right now, no amount, no amount of money is going to satisfy you. I know you think if you somehow won the Powerball, then you'd be good and you'd be set and you'd be happy and everything would be fine. And it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't satisfy you. It wouldn't give you fulfillment. And by the way, wouldn't Solomon know? He was a multi-billionaire. He was the wealthiest man of his generation. If anybody had enough money, it was Solomon. And he says, nope, doesn't do it. If you love money, you're not going to be satisfied with money. It's vanity. It's empty. It's hollow. You know, people talk about being in the rat race. You heard that phrase before. And that kind of carries with it the assumption of like, oh, all these rats and they're racing. And then you have a winner rat, you know, and he's the king rat. And it's like all worth it in the end for that one rat if he wins the rat race. And the reality is it's not a race at all. It's more like rats running on little hamster wheels. Because you're in the rat race and you tire yourself out and you go, 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 and you get off and then you've gone nowhere right? You spent all this energy, and you still have not accomplished anything. So don't fall for the trap, that thinking, fall for the trap of thinking that making lots of money is going to bring you meaning or fulfillment. Take it from Solomon. 
because he lived it. Now, let's look at Proverbs 13, verse 11, because you say, well, what about, Nate, what, what about the people who, you know, they, they inherit a lot of money from their rich, estranged uncle, and they come into millions of dollars? What about the people who do win the lottery? I mean, surely that's good enough for them. Surely they learn to be content with that wealth that they... Well, what does the Bible say? Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. This, this word vanity here carries this idea of like through dishonest means or wealth that's acquired very hastily, like in a windfall fashion. That wealth doesn't last. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Proverbs is full of these principle-type statements. They're not... They're not formulas, they're not laws, they're principles. Very often this behavior, this action leads to this result. If you're like this, often this is what's going to happen to you. And this is one of those statements. Wealth that's gotten by vanity, wealth that's gotten all at once, it doesn't usually last. But wealth that's gotten little by little, that tends to last. Why? Because think about people that are just given or come into money very quickly. Do they hold on to that wealth for very long? Not usually. There's a reason why one-third, get this, did you know one-third of lottery winners, roughly, end up going bankrupt? Like, how does that happen, right? How do you end up worse than you were when you won the lottery? And it's, and it's shown, the studies have shown that lottery winners uh, they've exhibited higher uh, uh, rates of depression, of anxiety, of suicide, of divorce, of just a whole array of negative events in their life. You know why? Because money doesn't solve your problems. In fact, usually what money does is it just amplifies the problems that were already there. It's like taking gasoline and pouring it on that fire. It didn't help. It just ignited something even bigger. But somebody who gathers by labor shall increase. Somebody who works hard, somebody who builds wealth over time, do they usually blow it all on a, on a trip to Vegas? When somebody spent 40 years building their business and accumulating wealth, do they just go and blow it all in one weekend? No, that, that usually doesn't happen, right? And that's what the Bible's saying. So let's look now at Proverbs 23, verse 4. On this idea of not having enough money, that you'll never have enough money, let's look at Proverbs 23, verse 4. The Bible says, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Does that describe your bank account? (laughs) The money is flying away, just like an eagle. It has wings. I don't really know where it went, but there it goes, because it's not in my bank account anymore, right? Does it feel that way sometimes? The Bible says that's what acquiring wealth, that's what living for wealth is like. It's like something that you'll never be able to grasp. You know, being rich is a terrible life goal. If your goal in life is to be rich, the Bible says that that's very foolish. That's the world's wisdom. Work and save and invest and plan so you can have X amount of dollars and then you win. But that's an ever-moving target. It's, you know, if you've got a cat, you ever shine the laser pointer? for the cat and watch him go crazy. And that stupid cat thinks that someday he's going to get the laser pointer and he's going to catch it in his paw. And it's just, as soon as he thinks he has it, there it goes. But from God's perspective, that's how we look like. Chasing that laser pointer. Oh, man, if I just got that job, if I just got that promotion, if I just had this much in my retirement account, then I'd be good, then I'd be set. 
No, it doesn't work that way. Money doesn't last. It's like trying to hold water in your hands. This finds a way to seep out. The houses need repairs, the car breaks down, and the more you have, the more money you have to, to spend to protect it. Have you noticed that? The more money you have, the more time and worry and anxiety and money you have to spend to keep what you already have. I was listening to an interview with uh, Russell Wilson. If you know who that is, he's a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Very wealthy, very successful, incredible athlete. And um, he makes millions of dollars a year. Like, he's, he's fine, right? And he was saying in this interview how he spends over a million dollars of his own money to take care of his physical health. He has a personal chef, no, two personal chefs, um, personal trainer, personal massage therapist. He has the um, hyperbaric chambers. It's like literally like 100% oxygen. Like you go in and breathe 100% oxygen so he can help his body recover. And that's to say nothing of like how much he spends on personal security for himself, for his family, on his house, on just like, he spends so much money just to keep what he already has, it's a nightmare, all right? And you think, well, Nate, no, if I had the money that Russell Wilson had, then I would be good. I would be... The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that you'll never get to a point where you have enough money to give you the fulfillment and peace and satisfaction in life that you crave. So don't make life decisions based on money alone. Okay? Why do you want a raise? Why do you want a promotion? Why do you want to be the number one in sales in your region? Is it for your pride? Is it for your greed? Is it for your ego? Is it for something else? Check your heart. Check your motivations. Okay. Young people, okay? Hey, coming up on college, career, what am I going to do with life? Can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? Don't make life decisions based simply on making money. There's nothing wrong with having a good job and making good money and being successful. Nothing wrong with that, but don't make that your aim in life because it will disappoint you every time. Now, if you're struggling with managing your money, the answer is not more money, okay? Now, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Nate, but it wouldn't hurt, okay? <laughs> That's not the answer in life. More money is never going to be the answer to give you the fulfillment and peace you need. The, the answer is to learn to make wise decisions and to trust God and to follow his advice for your finances. So, what would Solomon impart to us? Well, first and foremost, we need to beware of overcommitment. We'll never have enough money. And then now number three, we need to think ahead. We need to think ahead. Let's look now at Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. The Bible says this, Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. That's a turn of phrase. So we don't really say that anymore, give a portion to seven and also to eight. Kind of like we would say, it's raining cats and dogs, or a dime a dozen. Like, we know what we mean by that, but somebody from a, you know, who speaks another language would be like, what? Like, you know, if you translate that. So what the Bible is saying here is, a portion to seven and also to eight, as in like several. Take your money, take your resources and divide it into several portions, not one, not a couple. Why? Why would you do that? Well, thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. In other words, you, you never know what may go wrong. You know how we would say it today? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You might say, well, you need to diversify. There it is. Solomon is telling, this, telling us this 3,000 years ago because he learned it. 
You never know what the future may hold. So it's wise to think ahead, wise to protect yourself from potential disaster. If we look back just a few verses previous to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, I really like this verse. I found this verse very interesting. Solomon puts it this way. He says, if the iron be blunt, so talking about like an axe head, so picture an axe that isn't sharp, the edge is blunt, and he do not wet the edge, so to wet means to sharpen the axe. So if you have an axe that's dull and you didn't sharpen the edge, then what do you have to do? Then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. So if you don't Sharpen your axe, you've got to work that much harder to chop down the tree. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with thinking ahead. When you don't plan and prepare properly, it makes the task that much harder. You ever run into a financial challenge that you didn't adequately prepare for? It's tough. But when you plan, when you prepare, when you're wise, and then all of a sudden you get to that moment, man, it's easy. Smooth sailing because I've prepared. There's an old saying in the logging industry. If you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening my axe, right? We might put it this way today. Uh, we want to work smarter, not harder. Or in carpentry, it's you measure twice, cut once, right? The preparation makes the execution that much easier. Now let's look at Proverbs 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. You know, the wise person sets some stuff aside for emergencies. But the foolish person, money in, money out. Get money, spend it. That shouldn't be us. Foolish, the foolish man has no planning, no preparation. His life's just one of continual consumption. Did you know in America, about half of Americans could not cover... Uh, a $400 emergency. About half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Now, in some cases, the income is not there. People don't have the capacity because they're just not making enough money. And I understand that, but there's plenty of people who are making plenty of money and they still are living paycheck to paycheck because they've overextended themselves. The Bible says that it's wise to set money aside. It's wise to prepare for the future. Proverbs 13, verse 22 puts it this way. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You know, the wise person is diligent to the extent that they're able to pass down wealth to generations. Now, my dad's a pastor, and I've tried to tell him, listen, Dad, I think really what you need to concentrate on is just your children. Like, get to that point, then you can worry about children's children. But for you all, children's children, grandchildren, and his, his retort is always, you know, see what the Bible's teaching is, you don't pass an inheritance to your kids, it's to your grandkids, so I'm going to skip you in my will. So, um, <laughs> A good man is, leaves inheritance to his children's children. But conversely, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. That doesn't last. The wealth of the sinner, do they, do they consider their family, do they consider their loved ones in their planning and their preparation? No, they don't. And now, lastly, let's look at Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to want. The thoughts of the diligent, the planning, the foresight. Somebody who plans and thinks ahead, that leads to plenteousness. That leads to wealth. But somebody who's hasty, somebody who's impulsive, somebody who's undisciplined, what does that lead to? It leads to poverty. Now, is the Bible teaching that everybody who's wealthy was diligent and wise? And 
No. And is the Bible teaching that everybody who's poor is just lazy and impulsive? And No. The Bible is saying these behaviors often lead to this result. You remember those terrible infomercials back in the day? You know what I'm talking about? The ones where it would be like, call now in the next 20 minutes. For $49.95, you get two Snuggies, two ShamWows, two Chia Pets. You know, was, Pick up the phone. I, as a kid, I remember watching those commercials, and I was like, how do they know if you call in the next 20 minutes? Like, are they, do they have a clock in their call center that, like, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, the clock just ran out. You have to try. And then I realized I got older. No, there is no clock. So why in the infomercial they're like, call now? Because they don't want you to think about it. Don't put it off. Don't cons- no, right now, you saw the Chia Pet. You know you want it. Pick up the phone and buy it, right? <laughs> Hastiness. Have you noticed when you go to the grocery store, where do they put the milk and the bread and the eggs? Is it in the front of the store where it's nice and convenient? No, it's in the back of the store so that you have to go through the entire length of the store and you're going up and down the soda aisle and the chips aisle and you're grabbing things along the way and you're throwing them in the basket because you went grocery shopping while you're hungry, which you shouldn't do, but now your grocery basket is full and you only went there to get bread and milk and somehow you're spending $100 at the grocery store, right? And then you get to the grocery line and then what do you see? Oh, there's candy bars and there's soda and there's gum. Yeah, just while we're at it, might as well. Impulse buy. There's literally that term in marketing, an impulse buy. And the Bible says that if you live your life that way and just say, click, yes, next day shipping, yes, please, and go ahead and swipe the credit card, and if you live an undisciplined life, that often leads to poverty. So what can we do about this? Save for future need. Have money set aside for emergencies. Set money aside for your your savings plans, for repairs in the home and the car, for uh, the trip that you want to take. Invest your money wisely. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. No matter how much you think it's a sure thing and this has got to be it, be careful about going all in and investing in one specific area. Diversify. Budget your money. Plan how you will spend it. Make sure that you give and save first, spend later. Don't just spend your money and say, ooh, do I have anything left over at the end of the month to give or to save? Because chances are you won't. But if you give and save first, you'll find that you're able to have plenty of money for the spending that you want to do. Think about the legacy that you want to leave. Everything that you have, you're not going to take it with you. It's all going to go to somebody else. So when you leave this world, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Who do you want to have that money? What do you want them to do with it? Plan this out. Think ahead. You say, Nate, if I think ahead, am I really trusting God, though? I mean, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, we're supposed to trust God. He provides for our needs, right? Like, we don't trust our earthly riches. Here's what I would say. We're able to do both. It's not an either or. I got in the car and I drove over here. I put my seatbelt on. Every month, well, not every month, every year, I pay for home insurance on my home. Every month I pay for car insurance, right? Am I not trusting God by doing those things? No. I'm taking responsibility to do things that are common sense to manage my health and my resources appropriately. And we can do both. We can save, we can invest, we can plan, but ultimately we don't trust our money. We don't put our confidence in our stuff. We put our confidence in God. So if the world's wisest man could do it all over again, what would he do? He wouldn't overcommit himself financially. He wouldn't promise to pay something he couldn't. He wouldn't co-sign for another person's loan. 
He wouldn't live for money because he learned out the hard way it doesn't work. No amount of money is ever going to leave you happy. In fact, it's going to leave you empty. And he would think ahead because he understood that you never know what might happen and it's wise to be prepared. And if we'll be humble and willing to learn from the example of Solomon, I believe God's going to bless that in our lives. Let's pray as we close our service.